We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 if you want to grab a Bible. Um, we're using the ESV today. And uh, sometimes we use the NIV, sometimes we use the ESV. And sometimes a little message sneaks in there from time to time. And I actually, I actually have this too, which I will be bringing out maybe at some point. It's the Gospel by Gen Z. It's, it's hilarious. I probably need to do a little bit. I will. If I forget, remind me, which will be a little awkward, but it won't be that bad. Um, but Mark chapter 5, we're, we're going through the study of Mark. We've been looking at Jesus. We've just been staring at Jesus because he's beautiful. Amen? Mm. Got a little work to do. That's fine. That's fine. No problem. No problem. We're staring at Jesus because he's beautiful. And he, yeah, um, he, 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 his life was so beautiful that those around him um, experienced great change. Um, his life is so beautiful that, you know, people all over the world are still, um, still experiencing great, good change in their life. Um, his life is so beautiful, we're talking about him. The whole world's talking about him all these years later, even though he's a very small town individual. And, and yeah, he's, he's worth looking at. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the answer for the world today. All of those things are true and valid. And, and what, we, what we know is that God's plan for each one of us is that when we, when, we, when we give our life to Christ, the goal of God in our life is to make us more into the image of Christ. The way Romans 8 says it is this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we've been talking about this. The, the most important thing that we can do is be more like Jesus. What's going to solve America's problems is not another election year. I'm, I'm all, I mean, I'm all for election year, and I think it's a good thing. But, but what's going to solve America's problems is if Christians become more like Jesus. What's going to help your family's issues is if you and others will become more like Jesus. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. Righteous and true. Full of grace and full of truth all at the same time. Walking that impossible line. He's perfect. And so God wants to make us more like Jesus. And so we're staring at Jesus to figure out what he's like. We're spending time with Jesus so he can kind of, you know, rub off on us. And one of the questions we're asking as we go through the book of Mark is, if we want to do the things that Jesus is, how do we get to do the thing? We want to be like Jesus. We want to do the things that he did. And the premise that I've been working on is if we want to do the things that Jesus did, we have to do the things that Jesus did. <laughs> and that might sound a little stupid at first, um, or even later. That's fine, too. But, um, but what it means to me is, like, I want to be able to do the public, amazing, radical things that Jesus did. I, I would love to do that. But I don't know how. And in some ways, it's not really up to me. But if I look closely, if I stare at Jesus long enough, I begin to realize that there were a lot of things that Jesus did that were very simple and consistent. And if I focus on doing those things, then I'm putting myself in the best position to ultimately get to do the things that Jesus did. So if I do the simple, consistent things that Jesus did, 
then there's a better chance of me getting to do the amazing, wonderful things that Jesus did. Yeah, I like that. I thought it was great too, so we did a whole sermon series around it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you get what I'm saying? It's very simple. It's very simplistic. But that's kind of the lens that we're looking at the book of Mark this time around. And so we've looked at Jesus. We looked at Jesus, you know, from 0 to 30, we don't see much. I mean, I, I guess day 2 and thir- to 30, we don't see much. Day 1, there's all kinds of cool things we celebrate. It's called Christmas. Day 2 to 30, we only see him one time. He was 12 years old and he spent the night at church. So that's why we really encourage like overnighters and lock-ins here for our, for our young people. Um, that's what Jesus did. And, and, then, and then 30 years old, he begins what is called his public ministry. And, and at that moment, he, he, he stepped into the fullness of what God was asking him to do. And that's what we're wanting to do. And so what we see Jesus did is he was baptized. If you haven't been baptized, that's cool. Um, you should get baptized. Jesus stepped into this. That was one of the steps he took. Jesus practiced fasting. Baptism's a little easier than fasting, but baptism's a little more public than fasting, so I get that. It's a little challenging there. But Jesus fasted. He, he fasted regularly and actually taught that his followers would fast regularly. Jesus practiced solitude. We see that. He got away for 40 days to prepare for what God was asking him to do. He memorized scriptures. When the devil came and tempted him, he actually quoted scriptures back. And they, they didn't have the gospel by Gen Z back then. You know? They didn't even have this. <gasps> well, they didn't have they didn't have this. They had this, but not this. You with me? Yes. They had Old Testament, not New Testament. This will get better, I promise. The sermon will get better. Well, I hope. Um, he memorized scriptures. He fought the devil. He actually fought the devil. That's a part of the life of a follower of Christ. It's learning how to fight the devil. And then last week we talked about how he went around and he taught about the kingdom of God using parables. And we got rapid fire. Mark chapter 4 was like boom, 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 boom. It's just shooting all these parables at us. Rapid fire. We read a ton of them. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God through parables. Everywhere he went, he was constantly doing that. And Mark, the author of this book, who's, who's basically writing for Peter, who, who's really, we think, the author of this book, and Mark was the one that was writing it all down, because Mark wasn't there, Peter was there. So, so what they wanted us to see is, is one of the main things that Jesus did was he taught about the kingdom of God using parables. So if we want to do the things that Jesus did, this is another thing that we could start practicing. We could start proclaiming the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Yes, not just at church. Yes, outside of church. Yes, in the neighborhood. Yes, at school, in the workplace. Yes, at the grocery store. Yes, on the street. Whatever it might be that the Lord's leading you. But to proclaim the kingdom of God, that's something you can do in order to get to see the things that Jesus did. And today we're getting another one. And what this is, is getting proximate to pain. We're going to see in this next rapid fire they just, I mean, it just pulls out this stories like, just hits you with all these stories of Jesus doing these really miraculous things. And we can look at the miraculous things. That's wonderful. But I want us to notice the simple, consistent things that Jesus was doing 
as he does the miracle things too. So chapter 4, verse 35 is where we're going to start. This is right after all those parables. On that day when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd that he was teaching, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. It's funny that detail is in there. A cushion, like, come on. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And so we're going to have some, some kind of guiding phrases as we go through these stories pretty quick. But the first one that I want us to notice is that Jesus chastises his disciples for thinking hard things mean Jesus doesn't care about them. That is a hard, that's not a, that's not a first grade Christian teaching. I was following Jesus for a while before I had to really wrestle with this. I mean, these are fishermen, a lot of them. These are guys that grew up on the Sea of Galilee in that area. Jesus himself grew up there. And Jesus is on a boat. That's why they got a boat, because some of them are fishermen. Jesus is on a boat, and he's teaching to the crowd. After that's all done, Jesus is like, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. And, and the disciples, they turned to where he was pointing, and they looked up, and they could see a storm was coming. These were not foolish, idiot people. These were fishermen. When I was living in Belize, we lived like right next to the, the Caribbean. We lived kind of on a lagoon. And, and you could see when the storm was coming. You could see the clouds. And, and I, I, at first, I didn't know. And, but, they, but I would ask the villagers that were with me when we'd be hanging out doing whatever, I'd be like, rain de con? And they'd say, rain de con, or no. And rain, de con, rain is coming. Like, rain de con? And, and, and they knew just by looking out there, they could tell if it was going to come be a rainstorm, we need to run for our lives. Or if it looked real ominous, but it's just going to blow over. They knew. Because they'd grown up watching it their entire lives. And so here are these disciples, they're on the boat, and Jesus is like, let's go over there. And they're like, okay. So they probably thought it was a bad idea, let's just say. But they're like, he's Jesus, and he's teaching and doing crazy things, so let's just go for it. He's the rabbi. And so they start going. And these fishermen are so freaked out by this storm. It's not the first storm they've been in. It's not the first storm they've seen. But they're so freaked out, they literally think they're going to die. And, so, and Jesus is just back there sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> I love that Peter put that, or Mark put that. He's like, it was a cushion, man. He wasn't even just sleeping on the floor. He was sleeping on a cushion. Well, we're out here dying, man. Um, anyways, so, so they're freaking out. They wake him up. Jesus wakes up and says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. Has anybody ever been in a storm and said that? No? Come on, somebody. I've done it. Yes, there you go. We got some honest people in the back there. No, like I've been in some, some topsy-turvy things that I was like, mm -hmm, peace, be still, you know? 
And no, it didn't work. It didn't work for me. But it worked for Jesus still, calm, everything. And the disciples are like, whoa. And then Jesus turns to them and is like, what the heck, man? They're like, because they said, don't you, don't you care about us? We're going through a hard thing and you're over here sleeping. Don't you care about us? And Jesus yells at them. Why would that make you think I don't care about you? It made no sense. And they marveled at who this guy was and that the waves and the wind would even obey him. But Jesus chastises them because he needs them to understand that going through hard things does not mean he's not there. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. And they were going to need to know that because all of these guys ultimately were going to get martyred. And Jesus had to teach them this lesson. They were going to be going through really hard things, and that did not mean that Jesus didn't care. So that's our first little thing we got to notice there. Um, I'm going to throw this in there real quick. Real quick. Oh, yeah, because i got to do it now. Because if I try to do the next one, the next one's funnier, better story, Gen Z style. Um, but anyways, this story's in here about Jesus calming the storm. You ready for it? Holy blood and his fam got into a boat, and he took a nap. Then the sea and the wind were being extra and playing too much. The disciples didn't pass God's vibe check and were caught lacking and were stressing hard. So they woke him and said, bruh, you going to let the storm cook? <laughs> For they were afraid and they were, that, that they were going to take the L and be unalived by the sea and wind. So Jesus said to the storm, bro, chill. And the storm said, say less and stop vibing. <laughs> then Jesus told them, have more chill for it's not that serious, trust? They said, bro, what? How was this not difficult for him? In fact, it was barely an inconvenience. So they were shook and said, hold up, is he him? <laughs> no, no comment. All right, so that's our first story. Matthew chapter 5, rapid fire. They came to the other side of the sea. So they were on this side of the sea, then they went to the other side of the sea. They, and on their way, they went through the storm. They got to the other side of the sea, the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Lovely. He lived among the tombs, even better, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. That's normal. And he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. He was extra. <laughs> Night and day among the tombs and, and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. He cried out with a loud voice saying, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great, I can't, I have to stop there. So here is this demon that's been tormenting this man. Adjuring by God 
to Jesus to not torment him, the demon. This seems, seems bizarre right there. Seems real bizarre. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, the, the demon legion, begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I can't go all the way. We're doing a podcast on Mark, like a midweek podcast, just so you know. And I, we, we can talk about things there. But I can't talk. I mean, this is so interesting and bizarre, but we, I, I got to keep going. I got I to keep going. Um, the herdsmen fled, verse 14, and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened to Jesus, or what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described what had happened to them and to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, Jesus didn't permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim the kingdom of God in Decapolis, saying how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Okay, story number two, rapid fire. Yes, it's, I mean, it is, it's awesome. It is so awesome what Jesus did here. Um, and there's so much detail to it, a lot of begging. Everybody's begging everybody. De the demons begging Jesus, you know, people begging Jesus to leave, all these different things. Lots of different things we could unpack here, but what I want us to see is that Jesus got proximate to someone's pain. And, and, and what Jesus did is he left a crowd with his disciples, went across a sea through a storm he had to know was coming to go visit a man that he had to know was there and demon-possessed in order to set him free. So how did I know the storm was coming? I explained that. They had to have known the storm was coming, right? They're fishermen. They grew up on the lake. They all had to know that was coming. And Jesus said, we're going through it. They had to know that there was a demon-possessed man there at the Gerasenes where they were going. They had to know. How do they know? Because they were all 15-year-old boys at one time. And 15-year-old boys, there's nothing more than they want than to think that there's something spooky on the other side of the lake. Hey, you get your dad's boat tonight, 10 p.m., we're going across to see the crazy man. In your neighborhood, maybe it was that one house. Hey, we're going to go knock on the door of that haunted house in our neighborhood. Like, you can't resist it. They all knew that there was a crazy man across the lake. And they'd all said, hey, let's go do it. And none of them said no because they were all too embarrassed to look like a chicken. So they all got in the boat. None of them wanted to go. And they sailed across and they got to the other shore. And this guy came up. And they all probably like, ah, screamed like girls and ran. And then they got back and told the story. Yeah, we went and saw him. We went and saw him. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. You know how it goes. I mean, this guy's been there. Everyone knows the details. He's crying out in the middle of the night. He lives in the caves. People put shackles on him. Oh, gosh, did you see the boat go? They took all those shackles. They're going to get the guy to shackle him up. And then they come all, and they're all beat up when they come back. Oh, it must not have worked. 
Oh, there's some more guys. They got some new shackles. The shackle 2000s. They're going over. You, know, you get what I'm saying? Like the lore of this must have been massive by the time this happens. Jesus knows there's a guy over. He's heard the stories his whole life. And at this moment, Jesus says, we're going through the storm. We're going to go get proximate to this guy's pain. Because we're going to see what the Father has in mind for him. And they get off on the shore, and the guy runs up and starts screaming, shouting at Jesus. Get away from here. We don't want you here. And Jesus says, get out. And the impure spirit comes out, and it goes into pigs and all this stuff. That's podcast stuff. We ain't talking about that right now. And this man is set free. He doesn't have to live in tombs anymore. He doesn't have to cry out and scream. And they, they run off, the herdsmen run off, tell everybody, everybody comes back, and they see this guy sitting there, and he's chill. Right? He's, he's relaxed. He's at peace. And they were freaked out. And they told Jesus, could you leave it's fascinating. We'll touch on that again. But Jesus and this man have a little interaction as Jesus is getting back in the boat. The guy comes to him and says, Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus said, no. And everywhere else, every other person so far that Jesus has healed, he told him to be quiet. Don't tell anyone. It's just between me and you. But this guy, he's the first one he sends out as a missionary. He actually sends this guy out before he sends his 12 out, which happens in chapter 6. And he says, you go proclaim what God has done for you. You go proclaim the kingdom of God to everyone everywhere. And the man goes and does it. It's just so, so awesome what happened here. And the point that I want us to take away was the second one here. As Jesus went out of his way through a storm he knew was coming to reach a man he knew was demon-possessed just to get proximate with him and set him free. Jesus was getting proximate to pain. I don't know how to cast a demon out of people, but you can at least get proximate to pain. You have, you, you, that is under your control. And then the Lord takes over from there. The next two stories I'm just going to summarize. Some of you are familiar with them. This guy, Jay Iris, who was a, a synagogue official, so he's actually one of the guys that doesn't like Jesus. He's in the whole group that thinks Jesus is a heretic and wants to get rid of him. Um, ultimately, those are the ones that actually got Jesus killed. But, but all of it was just brewing at this point. And, and this Jairus guy risks all of that because his daughter got sick. All of a sudden, it became real personal, and he had some serious pain. And so he brought his pain to Jesus said, Jesus, will you come to my house and, and heal my daughter because she's sick? And Jesus, knowing the ramifications of all that for himself, knowing the ramifications of all that for Jairus, says, absolutely. And so he, you know, takes the crowd. The crowd's all going with him. There's a whole crowd that met him, and they're all kind of going to Jairus. Everybody wants to see what's going to happen. They know the intensity of this moment. Religious official doing this, that's a shame on him and his house, bringing Jesus in. All this kind of crazy stuff is at work in there, and Jesus says, no problem, let's go. And on his way... Jesus stops and says, someone touched me. <laughs> and his disciples are like, yeah, how about, you know, 35 people have touched you in the last 10 minutes? And he's like, no, 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 no. 
Somebody touched me and was healed. And he stops and he says, who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? And there's this intense moment where this lady now, we know, had had an issue of blood her whole life. And she reached out and she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'd be healed. And so she fights through the crowd. Even though she's unclean, she's breaking all the rules. She's been told she's unclean for her entire life. But she's so desperate, she comes and she touches him, and she's clean. But nobody else knows that, and she can't prove that to anyone. But she knows she's clean. And she has to, at this moment, risk and say, hey, all the attention can come on me right now. Even though everyone there must have known this lady and what her issue was. And she eventually says, Jesus, it was me. And he establishes this proximate relationship with her. He stops the whole entire crowd just to have this moment with her to make sure this isn't a transaction, this is a relationship. And he got proximate with her pain and set her free. And then right after that, a guy comes up and says to Jairus, hey, it's over. She's dead. Your daughter's dead. And Jairus' head hangs and the grief tries to swallow him up. And Jesus picks up his head and says, hey, you stop right there. Take me to her. Now, this is an intense situation that Jesus goes into because now he's going into the place where all the family's gathered and they're already weeping because she's dead. She's been sick and now she's dead. Now, I've been, I, I, in my line of work, I go to a lot of hospital situations where someone is either dead or right, right on the verge. And it's intense situations. I remember Mark Buckley telling a story one time, probably get the full story on the podcast. I'm not trying to advertise the podcast. I'm just trying to tell you that I don't have time for everything today. Um, he went into, his brother was, was actually paralyzed and kind of was in this, you know, all the, all the stuff that you get in. I forget what it's called right now. But, um, and he felt like God told him to take all that stuff off his brother and his brother was going to be fine. And he was like, well, and so I, th- I think he waited till everyone was out and he just kind of did it in secret, like, hey, I'm going to do this. And the brother's like, like he's paralyzed, he can't do anything. So he's just like, and Mark took all the stuff off him and he was fine, totally healed. Um, I remember being in a hospital bed with Mark's wife, Christina, and, and she had had a heart attack and she had actually passed away. Um, and, and, you know, they, they still had her hooked up to everything, um, but, but they were trying to get her to come back, and she wasn't coming back, and, and it was this wild moment, but I remember I was holding onto her feet, and when I was there with, with a couple of the kids, and, and I, we were, I, w- I was just praying that the Lord would, you know, wake her up, and, and then I felt her foot twitch, And I was like, that's just me. That was just me. That, w- that was, that was, oh. Well, I don't need to say anything. Because that'd be weird. Uh. And I remember in the most awkward, weird, squeaky voiced way, I was like, 
<laughs> I was like, I just felt her foot twitch. And, and you, I mean, there's a lot of trust. So I think they gave me an, a shred of, okay, we won't kill you right now. But it was kind of like, oh, that's a really dangerous thing to say right now. And, and I was like, I felt it. And, and so we kept praying and praying and praying, and then she came, she came back, and she's alive today. And, and it's, it was this beautiful thing. But I'm saying all these things because th- this is the moment. Jesus went into this moment, and he goes into this, this house, and he tells everyone to stop crying. And he tells them to leave because she's just sleeping. She's not dead. And he grabs three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, takes the mom and dad in there, and he grabs the girl's hand, and he says, little girl, get up. She gets up. She gets up, and I don't know what the reaction was with the mom and dad there, but they're pretty happy. Um, I don't know what the reaction was the girl was, but something made Jesus go, oh, we should get her something to eat. She looks hungry. So they got her something to eat, and she ate. And it's like, peace. You know, and then Jesus is on the next thing. But again, this is Jesus, and these are amazing stories, but, but we have to remember that, that what is happening here is Jesus is not saying, oh, I'm so sorry for you, or let me pray for you over here. Jesus went into the pain. He got proximate. He didn't seek to be in a safe distance. He didn't try and make sure it was neat and clean. And I've been in hospital beds and prayed for people, and they didn't get better. I prayed for someone one time, and they died while I was praying for them. So I don't know how it all works, but I know that God is calling us to get proximate with people's pain. And if you want to see the kingdom of God show up in power, I think that's one of the things that we have to do. Get proximate to pain. It's what Jesus did. Chapter 6, verse 1. Hey, we got lots of time. Chapter 6, verse 1. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did he get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Like this is, this is a kid, he grew up right here. Who's he think he is now? Saying these things and doing these things. They took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except he still found a way to get proximate to some people. He laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I love it. They're like, no mighty work was there. He's only healed a few people. It sounds like a mighty work, Mark. Um, And he marveled because of their unbelief, their attitude towards him and the supernatural. Jesus marveled at them. And he went about among the villages teaching. And then verse 7, he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics, only one tunic, no two tunic. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So the disciples went out and they proclaimed the kingdom of God that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Not Jesus, the disciples. Uh-oh, this teaching just got a lot more dangerous for us. Jesus sent them out, and they proclaimed the kingdom of God. They got proximate to pain, and they got to see a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. Or way Mark 16, the very last two verses says it. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached the kingdom of God everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. As they proclaimed the kingdom of God, as they got proximate to pain, the Lord worked with them and brought accompanying signs. This is the way it's supposed to work. So again, I don't know how to perform miracles. I've tried to still the sea, and it just gets even madder. I've prayed for people, and they don't get healed. No doubt about it. But what I do know how to do is I do know how to proclaim the kingdom of God, and I do know how to get proximate to pain. So if we want to do the things that Jesus did, we have to do the things that Jesus did. So then the question is, why don't we see more accompanying signs these days? That's a good question. Um, I think one of the problems is we seek to have sterile, safe environments instead of choosing to get proximate to pain. I think our American dream is to have everything neat and tidy. And Jesus' kingdom of heaven dream is that we would allow a little bit of mess. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. So when's the last time you've placed yourself on purpose where there's absolute desperation and pain? and then proclaim the kingdom of God there. That might be part of it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, obviously, I think there was something special going on where the kingdom of heaven was breaking in in a special way during Jesus and his apostles' life, but I think it's pretty clear that scriptures teach that none of that stopped. And just the other night, actually, a few Wednesdays ago, we had our last fasting and prayer service right here in the sanctuary. A bunch of you came. It was awesome. Fasting all day, coming to pray. And Living Streams Espanol's team was leading the service. And so I came in and I sat right over there. And they were leading the music and they were singing in English then singing in Spanish, going back and forth. I was like, that's awesome. But yeah, I had to focus a little bit more. I had to like pay attention a little harder. And I was totally enjoying it. Everybody was standing and I was just right over there. And, and then I heard, I heard other sounds which weren't language sounds. They were like moaning or crying or shouting um, coming from this region <laughs> of the sanctuary. 
And I couldn't see what was happening. I was just like, oh, that's cool. Maybe someone's praying or whatever. And, and then it just continued. And so then I looked over there. And, you know, the Living Streams Espanol team was here. So I was like, I'm not worried. Those guys know what they're doing. And, and then I noticed a bunch of people were all looking this way. And you could just feel the discomfort kind of spreading through the room. So I thought, well, if I'm finding comfort knowing they're there, maybe everybody else will find a little comfort if I'm not sitting over here, but I come over here. So I thought, I'm going to go check it out. So I came over here, and I, I, I sat, stood next to Mario, Pastor Mario, and there was a lady who was, um, who was kind of writhing. It was like she was really going through something. And there was another lady who was holding her and kind of rocking with her, and she was praying in a language I didn't understand. And then there were other people around praying as well. And so I said to Mario do you know either of these ladies? <laughs> um, and he's like, I know the lady who's speaking Portuguese. Um, she's a part of our team, and she only speaks Portuguese. So uh, I'm a human. I'm not perfect. But I, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> so I kind of just laughed a little bit, because I'm like, we're bilingual over here, and then we're, we're, bi- we're, we're like quadruple lingual over here because one lady's shouting out kind of in pain and one lady's shouting out in Portuguese and then they're singing in English and Spanish and I was like I don't have this kind of focus I just don't I just don't have this kind of focus but anyways it was a serious thing that was happening so I both things were happening sorry sorry it's just just the way my brain works so I'm sitting there just kind of processing this and um I, I eventually get to the point where I think you know it I'm interested to see what's happening. I'm not able to really talk to anyone here, so why don't we move this back to the you know, little guest lounge we have here, and that way everyone else can kind of continue on with what Living Streams um, Espanol's team has planned, and, and we can minister more specifically to whatever's going here. So we did. We, we got the lady up, and we, we walked her back into the room, and there was a few of us there, and she was sitting there, and, and what had happened is when she first came up, she was shouting, I hate Jesus, I hate Jesus, I hate Jesus. And then when I got up there, she was shouting, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And so I basically just asked her, I said, can you explain a little bit of what's going on? And so she said, um, well, I've, I've had for a long time this kind of tormenting spirit. And, and it would come on me, and it was, it was a lot like wolves that would kind of push me into a cave and just start biting at me, is the way she described it. And she said, when I came up front, it was, happen- like it, was, it was happening to me again. I was sitting up front, and then it came on me, and it was happening again. And then when, when I was being prayed for, it, the unclean spirit left. Like it left me for the first time. It, it left. And so then I just was so overwhelmed. I just started thanking Jesus, thanking Jesus. And, and she was still obviously a little stirred up at this point. And we were like, okay. And so we just started asking her more questions. And we prayed a little bit. And then we asked some more questions, prayed a little bit. We asked a lot of practical questions, kind of like, do you need something to eat type questions? Like, what's your living situation? You know, what's going on? Tell us a little bit more back. Because we just want to make sure it was like that she wasn't going back into a dangerous situation. Everything seemed okay. She kind of really got back down to total peace. And she had clarity of mind. And, and so we ultimately, it was like one more song to go. And we said, why don't we go back in there and just join back in with what the Lord's doing and thank the Lord. So we joined back in and it was cool. And then we followed up and she's been plugging in with different things and she's still doing pretty well. Yeah, still free. And, uh, and all these things. So it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah, wonderful, awesome. Whoa. 
right there. And I didn't, I wasn't, that was, I, we didn't, I didn't know I was teaching on this coming up in a few weeks. But as I'm reading this, I'm just going, well, thank you, Lord, that you're still doing it today, right here in our midst. And it'd be real easy for us to kind of go, oh, that's, we don't want that here. No, we want that here. That's a scary thing to say. But our prayer and everyone's prayer was that we would get to see more people set free from whatever they're dealing with. From whatever they're dealing with. And on the, on the podcast, we'll tell a lot more stories um, than I have now. But I think, I think we need to remember that if we want to see more of the things that the Lord can do, we need to get proximate to pain and proclaim the kingdom of God. We've got to be careful not to seek sterile lives and just numb our pain with worldly stuff all the time. Um, we want safety and comfort. We Americans are much like Jesus' hometown people or the people of the Decapolis, the Gerasenes, who are like, hey, Jesus, we beg you to move on from here because when you come, it gets a little bit too uneasy. It gets a little too weird. We're not in control anymore. And you don't necessarily want to only do what we want. You want to do what you want and get us in line with that. And we're not comfortable with that. We've got to watch out for that. It's, it's true. It's happened. We're, we're, we're trained in that in the church in America, in America, all of those things. So how do we get proximate to pain in 2024 in a healthy way? Um, well, I think, first of all, we've got to do exactly. We've got to, have to realize how conditioned we are to want things neat and safe and in order. And we have to fight against that. And we actually have to schedule in our lives times where we're actually going into pain, into pain. I mean, if you, there's, there's a number of things you can do. You can, you can email me or email Alec, and we have tons of mission connections right here in the city that will, that will, in a safe, really wonderful way, train you and get you proximate to people's pain here in the city. It, it's, it's awesome. It's the best thing you can do in an election year. Voting is good, but this is better than voting, just so you know. Um, you, can, you can just ride the bus every once in a while. Every once in a while, I'll just tell the pastors, hey, for the next six months, we're riding the bus every Tuesday. And we just ride the bus around here. And it's amazing. You get on the bus, and there's a lot of pain. A lot of pain. Um, you could foster a lot of these kids who are in foster care, they have, in, they have impure spirits that have come into them. Not, not, I'm not saying they're bad, evil people. I'm saying because of things that have happened to them and things that have been opened up to them, a lot of them are dealing with really unclean spirits. And you can proclaim the kingdom of God to them in love and in demonstration and see what the Lord might do. Fostering, adopting. You can volunteer for young life. There's a lot of darkness going on in our high schools right now. You could go proclaim the kingdom of God and see what the Lord might do. We got lots of different ideas. But how to do it in a healthy way. Jesus didn't heal everyone. I know that sounds weird, but in this spot, he didn't heal everyone. Some people he didn't heal because they didn't want to be healed, but other people he didn't heal because that's not what the Father was telling him to do. There were still sick people. There were still demon-possessed people after Jesus left. So all we are supposed to do is, 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 is get proximate to the pain of the ones God's calling us to. And I think, you know, not second service people, but you know, first and third service people, like they need to hear, like 
get proximate to pain. But you guys are so ready and so prone to do that. You need to also just know that you can't, get, you can't deal with everybody's pain. You've got you to gotta also dial it in. And just do the things that the Lord's asking you to do. That's it. It's real simple. Just get close to the ones that the Lord is asking you to get close to. And walk with them. I love there's this book called Tattoos on the Heart. And he, there's a quote in here that I, I love his quote and then I add a little bit to it. But he said, here's what we seek. A compassion that can stand in awe at what the poor have to carry rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it. And I just think it's so important to take the next step in that standing and say, hey, would you mind if I allow my shoulder to get under your burden and walk with you for a little bit? It's so fascinating what will happen if you will offer your shoulder to someone else's burden and walk with them for a bit. It will change you, it will change them, and the, God, and the, and the, the full power of God will show up in those moments. And the last thing is we never see in the Gospels or in the New Testament writings Jesus or the apostles heal themselves. They never heal themselves. They heal others, but they don't heal themselves. And there's just something to the way God set this whole thing up that we're to be seeking the healing of others and let God take care of our healing. And so often we seek the Lord for our healing and forget to seek the healing of others. But it's just, you just don't see it in the scriptures. That someone heals themselves. Instead, they anoint or they lay hands or they go to other people's pain and they pray for healing and, and at times get to see that person healed. And so maybe there's just a little shift that needs to happen in our own thinking like we're seeking the Lord for our healing, maybe we say, hey God, I'm going to trust you with my healing. I'm going to start trying to get proximate to other people's pain to see if I can use those same prayers for them and see them healed.